Welcome back to Hashtag Single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist. I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag Single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Hashtag single. C'est moi. It's Jeanette, your lovely host. Thanks for joining us once again for a brand new guest expert episode of Hashtag Single. Um, I have a really amazing episode for you this month. I'm super excited to have a complete unicorn of a guest with us here today. Alexandra LaPlante is a writer-performer who talks about her journey from monogamy to cheating to polyamory in a solo storytelling piece called Unconventionally Intimate. And last month, we had three other creatives talk to us about how they use their single and dating experiences to create creative content, a film and a series. So I felt like it's only appropriate to have Alex here with us to talk about live performance. Just a nice little creative bow. So Alex, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you because we were just joking about this. (laughs) Alex and I have been emailing since (laughs) August of 2020, (laughs) which is so funny because like think about where we were in the world last summer you know it's just like yeah a totally different conversation yeah so we've been <laughs> just in like schedule hell um but we're here today together and I'm very excited to we made uh, it we are you. here we did it <laughs> so Alex was introduced to me by our mutual friend Brooke who is a director and an intimacy coordinator and Brooke knew Alex because she had at one point directed her solo show the one we're talking about unconventionally intimate so quick bio for our audience here Alexandra LaPlante is a writer and performer from Montreal. Her solo show, Unconventionally Intimate, received a workshop at the Dramatist Guild Fund's Music Hall, where the first performance sold out in five days. It was then selected for Ivy Theatre Company's 24 Hours of Women Reading at Unorthodox and went on to be performed in exclusive apartments throughout New York City after a run at the United Solo Show Festival. She is currently working on an essay collection that chronicles her journey into non-monogamy and shows what happy polyamory looks like for her. So excited. Um, uh, so sorry, that was a weird, awkward transition out of that. Anything you <laughs> anything you want to add or change? No, that sounds okay, great. great. That sums <clears throat> it up pretty well. <laughs> Super. So let's start at the beginning. How did unconventionally intimate come to be made? Yeah, so, you know, I was, when I wrote the show, I was a few years into my polyamorous journey, and I was just getting very frustrated with the lack of representation in movies, books, shows about non-monogamy and what my life looked like, and also, I guess, how challenging it was for me to figure out what I wanted and to get to the point where I had found a happy balance in my life. And uh, yeah, so 
because I'm from Montreal, like he said, French is my native language, but I think I felt a little self-conscious. Like I wanted, I felt called to write some stories, but the idea of doing this just like written, like in a book or in essays just felt very intimidating to me. And I had done some improv in Montreal in French, you know, a long time before. So I started to do open mics. Um, but open mic slots are five to seven minutes and it just felt like I couldn't quite tell the stories I wanted to tell in depth. Mm. And I had really never, you know, performed a show before or anything like that. And my partner really encouraged me. He just said, you know, just like write, like, I feel like you need a whole one woman show. And I was like, who is going to come and like see this? <laughs> it's just nobody's going to come. But then a mutual friend introduced me to Brooke and it kind of just naturally happened from there. And it's been, yeah, it's been a eye-opening experience for me. Where were you at in your personal journey at the time that the show Let's say, let's talk about like the first performance of the show. Like where had you come from monogamy to polyamory? So I, the first performance was several months after I had broken up with my second partner. So I had had two partners for a whole year, two relationships that were very serious. And it was my first time having two partners. And it was I met both of them almost at the same time. So I had been, you know, in the honeymoon phase with both of them. And also I had never done I had wanted I was I had wanted polyamory for a long time I was curious about it. I had no idea how to do it. Mm. And <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I relate to that. I have so many questions about how the logistics work. But sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, no. And I'm happy to answer them. But um, so after this breakup, I was really heartbroken. My partner was, you know, picking up the pieces and helping me through this breakup, which was also a very uh, novel experience to have somebody you're in love with just help you through a heartbreak because somebody else you love just broke up with you. Um, Wait, and your, I new, started... your new partner? Sorry, it is confusing. <laughs> I met both of them at the same time. And yeah. one of them was, so I met Don and Nathan at the same time. Okay. And then um, Nathan was a long distance relationship and we were together for a year. And then at the end of the year, um, Nathan broke up with me and then Don was there with me to, you know, just comfort me in this breakup. So I had a relationship with Nathan. Don and Nathan were friendly, but they didn't have, a, oh, you know, okay, they okay. didn't have like a romantic or sexual relationship. Oh, okay. I think that's important to clarify because I think everyone thinks of polyamories, and and not and some of them are like this, and some of them are not like this. But like I think everyone thinks as sort of like sometimes it could be three, like a throuple or like four, like two partners sharing. So um, I think that's why there's so much miscommunication about polyamory is because. It's a little undefined and it's different for everybody, but that's it what is. makes it thrilling and exciting too, you know? Yeah, it's funny because there is an overrepresentation and the little bit of representation that there is about polyamory, there's for some reason an overrepresentation of triads like you're talking about. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because it's more, I don't know, it feels like more out there for people. So they're just more interested in that kind, but there's, it's, I mean, there's plenty of very healthy triads, but it's not been my main experience with polyamory. Do you prefer the word triad over thruple? Because I haven't heard triad before. 
Yeah, I don't know why I don't really like the word throuple. It just feels... It's it's corny. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, yeah. I hate it. I hate it coming out of my mouth. I hate saying it. Yeah, and maybe because it's, it's... it tries to change the word couple, and I'm like, well, yeah, it's just like yeah, a different yeah, yeah. thing altogether. Valid. Super valid. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so back to your personal story. You were you were in the middle of breaking up with your two partners when this show came to be? Yeah, so I had, you know, two relationships takes a lot of time. <laughs> and then yeah. One of them went away, so I had all this time on my hands, and I was experiencing this very unique thing of, like I said, having a romantic partner console me through this breakup. And I just started writing. Um, So by the time the first representation um, came about, I was only dating one person, Dawn, who I'm still with. Um, And yeah, that's where I was in my life. I had an idea. I had learned a lot. I had an idea of the mistakes I had done in my early, you know, relationships managing um, just this like first foray into polyamory, but the show was really covering my journey to it. So the journey, even before I had my two partners, just starting to question monogamy and starting to do explorations. This, the show also starts when I moved to New York City from Montreal, which I think for me was just kind of like, oh, now I'm really anonymous in this very large city. And I think it's a very common thing that people move to New York City and then start to explore things that they were not yeah, um, able to do like in their small town. Identity. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really that's a really good point. So you've been dating this person for a long time. Are you technically back into monogamy or? No. Okay, so it's no. him plus others as well. Yeah, so I did break up with a different partner again last winter. <laughs> so now we, I do only have him as a partner. But he has been with another partner for three years. And I love her. We get along really well. She's a part of our family. She and I don't have a romantic or sexual relationship. But honestly, we have a very, very deep unique kind like I struggle I wish there were better words to describe our bond because I think friendship just doesn't cut it Mm -hmm. like the kind of intimacy that you develop with someone when you share a partner like just from the fact that she has intimacy with this person that I also love and have intimacy with and we do share you know we don't all live together but we do share you know sometimes we'll spend a week together in a cabin, you know, upstate, we'll go on a trip. And she's really, yeah, she's a part of my family. And I think that's something I discovered in polyamory that I was not at all expecting when I first set out to explore it. Mm -hmm. I was, at first I was really thinking about my desire to, I think, remain an individual, also be able to explore, not just sexually, I think a lot of people think of polyamory as a way to have multiple sexual partners. And sure, yeah, yeah, sure, that's one side of it. And I think some people will leave it at that. Like some people have very defined boundaries around what they would call a primary relationship. And then they'll have everything that's kind of secondary and that's much more casual. Or if there are feelings involved, it's clearly, you know, lesser than this sort of primary relationship where you do everything the same as most monogamous couples will do it. Like you, you know, like meet family and maybe live together, have children, get married, that sort of stuff. Um, But for me, It was just clear that with different partners, I developed different kinds of intimacy and I feel different sides of myself come out. Mm. And 
I just could never conceptualize just choosing the one person forever. And just the idea that I would, you know, like the idea that this person would have to fill every single one of my needs. And it just felt, I don't know, it felt claustrophobic insane. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. When, you, when you put it that way, I'm like, it does sound <laughs> totally insane, actually, that you're going like, to yeah. find one person. Yeah, I mean, as a person who's been single for 10 years, the longer I'm single, the more that idea sounds totally absurd to me. Like <laughs> that I'm going to I'm going to miraculously suddenly find this one person that's going to like be this this figure in my life for all of those reasons. So I I'm vibing with what you're saying. I was thinking like when you were trying to describe the, yeah, there is a lack of word for that kind of particular relationship with um the female partner of your partner um and I'm just thinking about the level of trust that would have to be there would supersede just a standard level of trust in a friendship like that I can see why friendship doesn't feel significant enough because yeah you two have to have such an intense bond and so much trust in each other and faith in each other and comfort and communication like yeah, it's like almost like a like a sisterhood, if you will, like a sister. It is, yeah. Or like, so by the way, the word for like your partner's partner is metamor. That's like what they're called oh, in the I've polyamorous lingo. Before. Yeah, <laughs> and That's it's so funny. Cool. Yeah, it's funny because I don't love that word. Like, it's fine. Like, whenever I talk to people who know polyamory or know the word, like I can say like, oh, my metamor, and then they'll know who that is. Um, I think it sounds beautiful. Yeah, I don't know. I'm... Maybe it sounds Italian to me. Like, like, like it comes from a par- like paramour is what it makes me think of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But for me, metamor seems to put the emphasis on the person in between us. And the way I like to do mm. my relationships is that I really care about developing like an actual smart. one-on-one relationship with that person if they yeah. want to, you know, that's you know, that's ideally how I want to do it. And um, yeah, when I started my polyamorous journey, I had I didn't think about that at all. Like I think, and a lot of people who, like you might be thinking about this, you know, when you imagine yourself maybe in um, a non-monogamous relationship, just like all the feelings of jealousy and having mm-hmm. to share. Mm-hmm. And I think we're really focused on what will this person take away from me? Ooh. And, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm almost I mean the very beginning of my questioning was 10 years ago so I've 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 been through this for a long time and yes there there are feelings of jealousy and things to negotiate and boundaries and things like that at first and especially like you pointed out building trust with that person that you're sharing a partner with but once you're on the other side of that you can start thinking about all the things that that person can bring to your life yeah. And for me, like Ali, my metamor, she's also a writer and we have a ton of stuff in common. We really like to hike together. We emotionally, I think we process a lot of experiences the same. So we often, you know, like call each other for help. And when I moved to New York City, making friendships, platonic friendships was very hard for me. Mm-hmm. It seemed like everybody was busy and if when I met new people and I tried to make friends, if there wasn't the possibility for sex or love, people just didn't have time for me on their calendar. Oh, man. You know, and and I've talked to people who also have the same experience. So I think for me, 
<sighs> polyamory just kind of gave me a framework to build a different kind of family that's very yeah. close that we're committed to have long-term projects with and just like other people who have my back if that makes sense that's really beautiful yeah and thank you for reframing that for me and for us because I think you're right I think actually most people approach relationships as to like what is this going to cost me like Mm -hmm. I don't know we're humans and we're horrible selfish people so I think that's really beautiful the idea of like of it being expansive and not like not limiting is the wrong word but in the way that my mind already thinks about like scheduling and jealousy and and like how like complicated it could be to have not one romantic partner but multiple romantic partners and then partners of their partners like I'm like that sounds like a logistical mess to me um because that's how I'm hardwired but I love your approach to it I think that's really beautiful and don't get me wrong like there there are a lot of logistics to it like oh my god I'm sure (laughs) you can't you can't get around it like time like you know, people are like, love is infinite. You can love as many people as you want, but time is not infinite. So Girl, I cannot even like schedule a date. It is, I mean, like with one person, we are both so like not aligned and are no one's willing to give in their schedule, but that's the night that I have yoga, you know, it's, yeah, it's bananas. Um, but let's go back to your show. Um, mm. So one of the most intriguing aspects of your show is that it takes place in people's actual apartments in New mm-hmm. York City. I have so many questions. Um, first, let's start with where did that idea come from? And has it ever been done before? Or are you the first to sort of create this genre, for lack of a better word? I think it's been done before. I forget the name. There's like a theater company in the city that does shows in not not necessarily in homes, but just like in unconventional venues. Like I think I saw things here and there. For me, the way it came about was, well, like I said, like, it's not at all what I did, you know, like I worked in tech, like I just had a whole other career and it's not like I was trying to pursue a career in performing or writing or anything like that. And after I wrote the show, I just like invited a bunch of people in my apartment and I just, you know, workshopped it that way. And then when Brooke watched the recording, when we were um, introduced, and then we workshopped it at the Dramatist Guild Fund. It also had a homey feeling to it. And I can't remember, maybe they suggested it that like it, it would be because the content of the show was so intimate mm-hmm. and I was just being like very like I shared, you know, like both romantic and sexual experiences in detail, detail, details. And we really enjoyed doing it where like think of a if you think of a theater the performer doesn't really see the audience because of the lighting. Sure. And I've I've done it a few times in that context. But in the home, basically, Brooke staged it where the audience was sitting kind of all around and then they blocked it. So maybe there was like a column in the corner that we would use for a scene or, you know, I'd climb on like the kitchen counter and then do something else. Oh my and God. yeah, so and I uh, directing, you know, around like architecture is something that they had done and that they were really interested in. Um, so I think it just ended up they did a fantastic job. It was so much fun every time we went into a new venue. But for me, what was the most amazing part is that I actually looked into every single audience member's eyes as I was telling my story, which was really nerve wracking at first. No, I like want to throw up thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it created this sense of intimacy that was 
just so special. And also I got to see audiences reactions, yeah. like especially like if those who had come in pairs where, you know, I could maybe assume that they were in a relationship and maybe one of them seemed really into it or, you know, tapping on their partner's thigh, like being like, oh, see, that's what I'm talking about. And the other partner kind of being unsure, but also the trajectory of how maybe at first they were shocked by a lot of things, but then by the end seemed really into it. And that was really interesting. And then at the end, we would keep the audience there, those who wanted to stay. And then we had just a conversation. So I got to hear, you know, people's personal experiences because after having heard my personal experiences, they felt, I think, more inclined to share. And it was just really mind blowing, you know, to hear what people took away from it, which for a lot of them was not necessarily now I want to be non-monogamous. But I think a lot of them took away, oh, I should question what I want and not just accept the default model just because that's what I, you know, I was taught growing up. Yeah. I I mean, like if that was just the one takeaway from the whole experience, like how mind blowing and incredible, I was just thinking how, I mean, you're probably not going to go to your show if it's not the type of thing that people are going to be comfortable with. But I'm just thinking about how there's a lot of people that enjoy theater but say that they, A, don't like solo shows, B, don't like audience participation slash mm-hmm. reaction, don't like when the house comes up, don't like making eye contact because they want to be lost in the story a little bit. Mm-hmm. So did you ever, ever have any negative reactions? Like were people uncomfortable or in general people were really good with the scenario? I think in general people were good, I think because they kind of knew and oft like it often ended up being, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend saw it and then recommended. Sure. I heard from a couple people who then saw it in theaters that they thought like, oh, that's actually better for me. Just I was able to, you know, feel less observed or just like, yeah, as you're yeah. pointing out. Yeah. So that's definitely a personal preference for sure. Weird question for you. Was there ever a moment where you regretted the decision to bring it into apartments? I would think as a woman, there's a lot of risk going over to someone's apartment to do a solo piece about sex. Like some, let's just say it, some men may get the wrong idea. So, you know, how do you protect yourself? How do you make sure it's a safe space? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I was never alone. Like I always had like a team of people with me. Um, And also pretty much everywhere we performed ended up being a reference. Okay. Like somebody, I mean, we, we did, you know, have it open on the website if people wanted to just, you know, reach out to us and be, Hey, I'd like to schedule it. But this whole show ended up being kind of a, um, you know, people hear it at a few degrees of separation so I, I didn't have to feel that way, fortunately. Um, I think if it had been in a stranger's home, the fact that I was not alone in there um, would, have been, would have made me feel just more comfortable. Yeah. Did you guys do like a tech scout, for lack of a better term? Like you, it sounds like you and Brooke like used the apartments to 
um, stage it or to block a little bit? Did you go into yeah. the people's apartments beforehand? You were like, okay, this yes. is where this moment's going to happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if there were red flags, you probably would have known. <laughs> he was like, Absolutely. we're going to do the yes. show in my basement and <laughs> let me unlock this padlock here and there are no windows. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It was restaged every single time. I also had some slides like projected on a wall. So we had, yeah, it was usually, I don't think we've ever done it the day of unless yeah, when we did more than one performance in the same space, then we just, you know, went back. But it was always a different day that we would go before. And also because we needed to, you know, be able to give directions for the audience. Like, is the apartment wheelchair accessible? How do you get there? What are oh, the, you know, yeah. um, because a lot of people, too, didn't want their address. Like, you would get the address once you purchase tickets. Also for the safety of the people, you know, hosting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, the same, similarly, you could also have crazy audience members that are like, sweet, I'm going to show up and see this hot lady talk about polyamory. (laughs) I don't know, like, but there's weirdos in New York, you know? Oh, definitely. You have have to be safe and and you have to be protected. Yeah, yeah. But we were lucky, like, audiences were always great. Like, one time we had somebody who felt called to comment a lot during the show. Oh, a heckler? (laughs) Yeah, and I think maybe the format made it sound... Was like, it a man? It Tell like me it was, was a man. No, it was a woman, actually. Really? Okay. <laughs> she just needed to let it out. Yeah, I mean, she was having a good time. And I think eventually, you know, she kind of got it. I think her friends was like... <laughs> like, this is not stand-up, lady. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, can I just ask you, like, craziest apartment story? Did you go into any of those, like, whether... like, And you can interpret that however you want. But do you ever go into just some wild apartments in New York? Uh, no, I mean, there's, we went into a lot of like artist loft. So like, it wasn't wild in terms of like, oh, this is crazy. It was just like, for me, it was like, wow, this is a really beautiful apartment. <laughs> so no Wish mansions could... on the yeah. Upper West Side. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> nothing like that. Overall, like, what do you think you gained from doing the show in a site specific way rather than a traditional theater space was it really just about that relationship with the audience that you were able to energetically not just like feel but see and also the conversation afterwards yeah I think a lot of it was the connection with the audience um also the creativity of it of having to reblock it every time like it felt new mm-hmm. every time and it felt it, like yeah it felt new and it felt a little challenging especially because that's not I was kind of doing this for the first time um and Brooke was amazing and for everything like they were even a writing partner when we did some rewrites um yeah I was so glad to have them with me um but one thing for me like when I started doing it I made sure that all of the pictures like the materials didn't show like my face very clearly that's not the case anymore but I I very much was not out about being polyamorous and Mm. also not out about being bisexual pansexual either um and I had a lot of shame I think around my sexuality as a woman and because you know my day job was in a very sort of corporate environment where you know I was I had to manage a team of people and I just I was really scared that if people learn this about me, then they would see me, see me differently. And that's also something that I heard from some audience members who were just like, yeah, like I feel like I'm having to play this role of like 
you know, good wife, you know, like the, especially the women who were married to men and in their work environments or with their families. And they were like, why, why, why do I feel that way? Even though the show was not about that. And I think for me having to just be brutally honest about who I was, what my experiences were to rooms full of mostly strangers all the time, but actually seeing them and then talking to them after, it really made me more comfortable with myself and then basically helped me fully coming out. Like I was not out with my parents at that time. Like nobody knew I was even doing this. It was, yeah. It was your, it was your vehicle. It was your voice to self-discovery. Yeah, it was. And I didn't really know that that's what I I mean, it was, I guess, one of the needs I had because it was really challenging at first. I was really nervous. And now, I mean, I'm in such a different place. It's not the case at all. That's, I mean, we could only hope for that kind of self-discovery to happen in whatever creative endeavor we choose. I, I think a lot of people don't have that accessibility to creativity, to help them get through things and I think we're really blessed as as creative people to be able to dive into our deeper selves to find some meaning of, of self-expression and self-discovery as you said align with our deeper truth like for me that's like the essence of being a performer being a writer being an actor and I think that's mm-hmm. so cool that you had that experience I read this blurb on your website which I think is so beautiful I just want to read it we believe there needs to be more representation of shame-free female sexuality non-monogamy and bisexuality slash pansexuality by crafting an intimate private experience that is part theater part conversation we hope to reduce shame and judgment and encourage new discussions which is like 100 percent what i'm going for as well so like bravo kudos to you welcome to the family <laughs> thanks i love that so much so you then went on to create a new show fucking towards happiness which a thousand awards for that title, uh, which uses parts of Unconventionally Intimate and was performed at Dixon Place. So tell me yeah. a little bit about that show and how it differentiated from Unconventionally Intimate. Yeah, basically that show just focused on mostly the sexual explorations. So there was like a couple stories that were in Unconventionally Intimate and then a couple new ones. And it was, you know, it was in the lounge at Dixon Place. So it was very much like a stand up format like you know me in front of an audience with a mic and it was the unconventionally intimate does have a lot of funny stand-up moments in it but it also has a lot of more like theatrical storytelling and then sort of like stage scenes in it that Mm. are more serious more deep and this one was kind of just all the funny crazy basically all my craziest explorations that I've done um were in that show and it was more about the sexual freedom side of non-monogamy than the you know loving long-term multiple commitment side that we were talking about at the beginning of the um, episode it's interesting to me that you went from this like really holistic experience of being in people's intimate space and looking them in the eye and then you're like no nah, no nah, i'm just gonna get on a stage again and put the lights on me yeah. um yeah any reason um, I mean, I had, I was like, I felt like Dixon Place was like a good home for the kind of content that I was writing. Oh, oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I was curious about it. And then we were constrained with time. And yeah, I think it just, it felt like a fun exploration to just focus on like the, you know, 
ex sexual exploration stuff. So it was just something we wanted to try. We've actually only done it once. Oh, just like literally one show? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Are you, what happened to it? Did you retire it or are you developing it? Like what's? Um, I just, I think Unconventionally Intimate was just like the one that we wanted to keep putting our energy behind. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, totally. So what are you, and this is not a pressure filled question whatsoever because of COVID. <laughs> I realize that like everyone's been in different experiences in different places emotionally, but like what, what, if anything, are you working on? Is there a new show in the work? Are you just hoping to bring Unconventionally Intimate back and go back into people's homes again yeah definitely um, going in homes right now would definitely not be something we can do it's a lot i'm like oh my god you're gonna come in there with the lysol wipes and and spray everything 24 hours in advance you know yeah i think maybe in maybe in a little bit you know we would we would consider bringing it back um and like we were talking about before this recording like there's just a lot of work that went into that show. And after, you know, after doing this show, I also started taking, you know, writing classes and workshops. So now I'm working on a collection of personal essays, basically a book length collection of essays that cover. So the show was more me starting to question non-monogamy and being like, do people even do this? How does it work up to the beginning of my journey in it? And now I'm working on stories that show, I guess, the more long term side of it and successful, you know, multiple commitments. It still talks about some of the challenges because everybody always wants to know, how do you deal with jealousy? How do you deal with scheduling? So it talks about it. But I think from a lens of success and happiness, um, which I think is lacking in media. I feel like there's more and more essays published about non-monogamy, but often it ends up being, it didn't work for me, or we ended up breaking up, or we tried it and it was too hard. There are some successful stories, but very few. So that's what I'm focused on right now. Yeah, it's so interesting that you, when you started, I don't know if you caught this, but when you were thinking about creating the show, you were like, no, I 100% don't want it to be an article or a book. Like, I want it to be a show. And now yeah. you come like full circle and you're like, no, I'm just going to write some essays. I know, I know. I think part of it was that I felt intimidated by it. And then I think I heard people kept telling me, like, you should write a book. You should write a book. Like, this needs to be more accessible to people. And I think yeah. over time, and I've gained more confidence with just writing in English and just all of that. And, you know, then COVID. So <laughs> all of that just made it easier to say, you know what, I'm going to sit and try to write now. Right. As opposed to you doing like an Instagram live of your show, which like, you know, <laughs> yeah. would be really, would be probably pretty weird. Um, yeah. But I think that's lovely because I think it really bookends your experience, like your growth from coming here to New York City, not having a lot of friends, being unsure about your sexuality, not being mm -hmm. open to your community and to your family, um, not feeling comfortable with the language and like, like finding who you were as a woman, as a human through this show to the point that you can now write about it from a place of confidence. Like I, what, like what a beautiful little rainbow. What a lovely story. Yeah. Thank you. I feel, yeah, I feel very, very happy, um, to have been able to do that. Like you said, you know, having this creative um, outlet has just brought me so much. No, it's super inspiring also. So you are self-described polygamist. 
Um, Polyamorous. Polyamorous. Oh, my God. We're going to edit that out. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I think that might have been an autocorrect and I just like read it. But thank you. Honestly, Um, a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people confuse it. You know, maybe I will leave it in then because I'm sure there's like like 90 percent of America probably thinks it's the same word. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for fixing that. So we what I was trying to get at is that (laughs) there's a point to this. So we dipped our toe into the poly conversation on the podcast a couple months ago because in april my single guest was polly she described herself (laughs) i love this tagline as pansexual poly slash ethical non-monogamous sober stand-up comedian and i wondered (laughs) if you had a tagline as a performer as a writer like how do you describe yourself um, um to others yeah probably just a queer polyamorous person Um, It's interesting. I think I listened to that episode. And, you know, when you think like the for me, non-monogamy is like a wider umbrella and then polyamory is like a subcategory of it. Um, Oh, okay, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody has a different like I said, like there's no wrong way to do it as long as everybody is happy and, you know, consents to the rules and everything, you know, you're doing in your relationships. Um, But I think that so polyamory, when you think about it, it's like poly for like multiple and then amory means love. And I think a lot of basically a lot of non-monogamous people will just have a wider net and be like, well, I have the one person that I love and then I might have, you know, other partners that are more casual. And I I do meet a lot of people who have that model. And I think for me, the reason it's important to say polyamorous, but non, I mean, I am also non-monogamous, right? But the, the reason I like polyamorous is that it really puts the emphasis on love for me. Yeah. And you can still love multiple people and not necessarily have the same level of commitments that I might have in my relationships or the same level of being intertwined in your lives. Um, but for me, that's an important distinction. Yeah, and like you said, it sounds like there have been a couple of people in your life that have been around for longer amounts of time so while it's not monogamy it's not like off the table for you potentially yeah I think it's just and it's funny because at you know we're we're talking at a time where I only have one romantic partner and sometimes I go through phases you know because of time because I'm working on projects I'm like I don't have the time right now to you know um seek a second relationship and it's not like I have the need to also go on new dates you know all the time it's almost you know sometimes I might meet someone organically or I reach a point where I'm like okay now I have the space in my life I think I'm at my I'm at my happiest when I have two partners. Mm-hmm. I think I, time-wise, I don't see how I could do more than that. <laughs> I love it, girl. I love it. Just a practical woman that is like, listen, I'm at, I mean, I get it. Yeah. Because you have to have a relationship with yourself. Let's remember. So that's like, you know, one of the partners you have to put time it is. to cultivating your self-care and your yeah self-love. and some people don't need a lot of alone time right where i do so if i want one or two days a week where i'm alone and then i have two other partners to split the other days in the week like that's you know where else am i You're gonna fit out. somebody yeah. else <laughs> but some people would prefer having you know just like multiple partners that take less of their time maybe they see you know like 
uh, once a week, m- different partners, right? So it just depends. So, but for me, I like sort of long-term commitment and more intertwined yeah. relationships with just yeah. more than one person. I'm so glad you bring that up. I think it's important to define that and to have these conversations because um, you're right. I think there's a, a lot of there's a lot of lack of information, and I think there's some questions that people are embarrassed to ask as well because they don't want to offend people. But yeah, the more we can talk about this and like the nuances between those definitions and how people see themselves, I think the more accepting we will be as as human beings on the sexual spectrum. Yeah, definitely. And also, like sometimes I'll tell people, or it'll come up, and they feel I see that they feel uncomfortable and they ask no questions and I always Mm -hmm. tell them like I would rather you ask all the questions like there are not bad questions because for me it kind of shows that you're just you know open and getting information that you don't have and it's it doesn't come from a judgy place but yeah there are a lot of people who like you pointed out I think are just too embarrassed to ask people are embarrassed to talk about being single you know what I mean like I feel like if I say I'm single people are like oh um and then, so where do you live? You know what I mean? Like the people are like, uh, 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 like they're afraid to say something that's going to like put their foot in their mouth. I think we have a lot, you know, because of cancel culture and all that stuff. But there yeah. is a way to invite conversation in a way that comes from a non-judgmental place. Or you can just phrase it and say like, I'm, or forgive me, this is really embarrassing, but I know very little about this. So like, what's your life like? Or, yeah. you know, if you just say it like that, I, I just think there's a way to open up the conversation always. And I agree with you. I would rather talk about it and be open about it rather than have people like walk away and be like, well, I'm trying to think of like shitty things people say about single people. Like, man, if only she like brushed her hair, she wouldn't be single. I don't know, whatever. Like, that's dumb. That's a really dumb example. But I'd rather them like, like talk to me about how that works. And, you know, I think one of the things, uh, tangent that people are always like, it's on the tip of their tongue, but they don't know how to say it is like talking about childhood, especially with a woman of my age. And sometimes it's come out in wrong ways. Like, aren't you afraid you're not going to be able to have children? Mm. Um, you know, and the better question is like coming at it from a place of like, were children something that you wanted to have and yep. are you still thinking of having that or you or same with marriage like fill that in like is marriage something that's interesting to you or are you still looking to get married or are you just like really interested in being single because I do have some friends that are like fuck marriage no yeah fuck children no I'm happy being single and I love them and that's how this podcast started and this goes back to what we were saying earlier about like I don't want people who read my stories or who saw my show to think oh monogamy doesn't work I need to now you know question everything but I do think we should question what we want and really break it down to sort of the smallest things like do I want to have children do you want to have children if we do do we want you know biological children do we don't do we do we want to co-parent in a different way do I want to share living space with someone do I, if so, do I want it to be full time? What do I want it to look like? Do I want to share finances? Do I want to, I don't know, meet family and do like all the things that we just assume, like you get into a relationship with someone and you love them. And then you're sort of on that relationship escalator of like, oh, we've been together for a certain amount of time. Then we must move to the next thing. A hundred percent. And I think that these people who ask you these questions, they come from that place of just not even questioning, like maybe you want something different and everybody should just get to ask themselves that. But also in my case of having multiple partners, I I get to negotiate that with every individual partner instead of just falling into, oh, well, this is what 
the relationship should look like. And that exists even in polyamory world. Like what I was describing, a lot of people like to have a primary partner and then secondary partners that sort of creates boxes that then people fall into automatically instead of just discussing it and letting the relationship unfold in the way that it could. Like, I'm sure you've dated people that you've really liked, even going from a place of assuming you're going to want monogamy. And then maybe your relationship looked a certain way. Like, maybe I really like this person, but I don't really want to see them more than once a week, or I don't feel the need of having long-term projects with them, but they mean a lot to me in that way. Kind of just letting the relationship be what it wants to be outside of just a prescribed container, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I'm very on board with that. Like, define your own rules. Like, fuck what you've been taught. Fuck fuck the patriarchy and the linear projection that we're all, quote unquote, supposed to be living our lives by. Mm -hmm. I think, like, yeah, I, I applaud you for owning yourself and constantly checking in with like what you want and what makes you happy. There's nothing more wonderful than that. Yeah. And I think it's harder as a woman. Like, I think these people who ask you these questions because you're single, like, I think there's just different types of expectations. Like people think you want certain things when you're a woman and you should be in a certain place at a certain age in your oh, life. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what that's what we're taught. Like that's literally what society feeds us. Yeah. And that's what's happening in the world right now. People are like, I don't know if I want to have babies. And the world is like, wait, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they can't freaking handle it. Wait, wait, women might want to potentially have an abortion. No, you're not allowed to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. You have to be a childbearer, you know? Like, yeah. everyone's freaking out right now about, like, what women should and should not be. And it's like, we rising up. We rising up. <laughs> um, <laughs> final question for you. What do you want to see as a performer, as a writer, as a polyamorist in theater and live performance going forward specifically? Like what stories aren't being told? What is it? What is missing from the conversation? I just want to see a lot like a variety, a very wide variety of alternative relationship models. Like I can only share mine and we need, you know, a hundred like Everybody who has a different type of relationship that's non-traditional, I just want those stories to be told. And I want them to be told not from just a perspective of the challenges of it. Like every relationship has challenges, including monogamous relationships. And it's just that we've been used to see what those challenges look like in monogamy because they're everywhere. Um, And I think that if everybody was able to start sharing these more diverse stories, it would just normalize it and make more people feel seen, but also give more alternative models that people can be interested in. And I think I think it's easier for me to share that now from like not everybody is privileged enough to you know a lot of people can be scared of losing their jobs if they come out or you know different things like that but the more people come out the easier it'll get for them yeah i hope that too i think i think it's happening slowly but surely but you're right maybe we need different people to be writing the stories so that we can have diverse representation Mm -hmm. we need uh diverse people to be putting their voices forward so that we're not just hearing what we think a relationship should look like from 
the way that it's always been written, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. And also the the little bit of polyamory representation that there is, is also overwhelmingly white. And that's just not a representation of reality. It's not only white people. Yeah. Um, so that's also lacking right now. Yeah. Start a revolution, Alex. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready for you. <laughs> Listen, it's been so phenomenal talking to you about this. Thank you for being open. Thank you for being vulnerable, sharing your story. Thank you for educating me on the subject. I, I wish I could see your your show, but I, I believe in a future where someday we will come back to live, not only live performance, but maybe even live performance in an actual apartment. Either way. Yeah, I believe in it too. I think it's going to be <laughs> very liberating when that can happen. Oh my God, I'm so excited. But either way, I look forward to seeing your future work and uh, thank you again for being being so patient and persistent no thank you for asking questions and having me (laughs) we finally made it happen and it's been great connecting with you if you guys like listening to this episode which i hope you really did please consider passing it along to a friend who is not aware of the hashtag single community whether this person is single or in a polyamorous relationship if you think that they would enjoy this or enjoy learning about alex's work please pass it along as always um whatever app you are listening, whatever platform you're listening to right now, make sure you are uh, liking, subscribing, notifying, however you can find out about our next episode coming up and come talk to us. We're over at hashtag single pod on Instagram and other social media accounts. Come play, come join the conversation. We'll have another episode for you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.